1: This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Wednesday, September 8th. The Cubs and Reds finishing up a three-game set at Wrigley Field. And Brendan, Frank Schwindel,
0: Chicago Cubs, just keep on winning. Frank Schwindel has the highest... Weighted runs created plus since debuting with the Cubs in Major League Baseball. So, Corey, Frank Schwindel is quite literally the best hitter in Major League Baseball on the Cubs. Can you believe that? Okay.
1: That feels like selective sample size choices, but technically it is true. So, I'll allow it. Yeah. In a, a specific span, yes, he's the best hitter in baseball. Some are saying in the in baseball, history of correct. baseball, yes. maybe. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but the Cubs just keep on rolling. They they found like a little bit of a groove for themselves, and you can kind of hear it in some of the quotes, like from Wilson Contreras talking about how there's kind of a renewed energy we can maybe delve into the subtweeting uh, of some of those comments uh, another time, right that Wilson is saying things like he hasn't felt this energy in the clubhouse in a long time, right We'll unpack that uh, another time, right. I
0: do feel like we've heard that from even Javi over the past couple of years. this is not necessarily new per se, but yeah we'll we'll unpack that right.
1: Um, but, you do you. You hear it from some of the quotes from Wilson, just about the energy. You heard Frank Schwindel talking about it over the weekend about how you know everybody's just very energized and they they realize that they're taking the places of some pretty popular and and famous and in organizational terms legendary guys and that you know, being uh, 11 games under 500 as they sit right now is not where fans want to be and things like that, but that they're just trying to go out there and and get it done, and you kind of are, are seeing that lately. Like, they're, they're playing a, a good brand of baseball lately for a team that is yeah. well out of the playoff race and, you know, really doesn't have anything to play for other than their own personal careers and milestones and and aspirations, right? But just over the last, you know, couple weeks, Brendan, I mean, you're just—you're seeing a better brand of baseball from a sort of, like, ragtag group of of
0: Chicago Cubs. You posed a question, like, does it make sense for the Cubs just to to tank? Little did you know that what you really meant was bringing up Frank Schwindel to do this, right? So, like, the fact that they're doing this in winning games— Of course, it's going to hurt their draft position, but who cares? Because what's happening is you're carving out potential roles for this team in 2022 that's way more valuable than a draft pick, than like the eighth versus fifth draft pick. You're carving out roles maybe for Frank Schwindel, Alfonso Rivas, Patrick Wisdom, Cody Hoyer, Manny Rodriguez, maybe even Ian Happ, who continues to do well. So those are invaluable. And the fact that they're performing well, leading to wins, I will take the wins. I will sacrifice like three or four spots in the draft if that means I have somewhat of a reliable projection for at least one or two of these guys. Well, and
1: that was what you said at the time when I first brought up post-trade deadline like that they should probably be losing games and that they were working themselves into, you know, a potential like top six pick or something like that with how bad they were and kind of the immediate aftermath going on that long losing streak, right? And one of the points you made was, yeah, that's fine as long as it's not coming at the expense of future oriented guys, right? Like if mm-hmm. Alzai is the one giving up the runs or Cody Hoyer is the ones giving up the runs, then no, that's not good and I, you know, don't necessarily want a couple spots in the in the draft position for that. <laughs> right. And with the, the, the winning that they've been doing, the winning streak that they were on, the, it does get snapped on Tuesday, so snapped at 7, but then they win again on Wednesday. You're, you, most of the, the contributions, obviously the, the walk-off homer on, on Wednesday from Jason Hayward, but uh, the, the vast majority of these contributions are coming from those players, from guys who at least potentially have some sort of value to them going forward, even if
0: it's in a bench role or a part-time role. And those are valuable roles. I think that's what gets underplayed. Like, look at how much effort and resources the Cubs have had to expend to get a middle reliever, to get a bench spot. Think about the money spent on uh, Descal, I don't know why I'm saying his name, but Descal stuff. Think about all the effort on other second basemen who are the worst in professional baseball. If you can have more projectable depth, that is way more valuable. Again, I keep saying this, but way more valuable than drafting three spots up. And I think at this point, we'll see how the next three weeks go, three and a half weeks. But at this point, it's my perspective that I I, I think you have several candidates that could be in the conversation as complementary pieces for next season, maybe some of them as actual bona fide starters, like if they go out and try to get other guys via free agency to supplement this team. You have all these new... Areas of focus and potential directions you did not have four to five weeks ago in my head. Like, I admit, I did not know who Frank Schwindel was six weeks ago. Had no idea who the guy was. Going into the season, Patrick Wisdom was the late spring training inning replacement for Rizzo. <laughs> like No one expected any of this. And we're going into this offseason potentially realistically talking about both those guys as major contributors for this twenty twenty two team, Corey.
1: It it also I would be remiss to not just point out like the Reds come into this series like desperately fighting for their playoff lives. I think the Padres overtook them for that second wildcard spot, but it's by like half a game or a game and it's really clustered with like the Phillies, the Cardinals, the Mets, like a bunch of teams like kind of vying for that second spot. And this is the effort that the, that the Reds put <laughs> right. in here at, at Wrigley Field. And again, so not taking ready. anything away, obviously, we've been heaping a lot of praise on some of these Cubs players and what they've been doing. But man, I mean, this is, if the, if the roles were reversed, and we've seen this plenty of times in our life, Brendan, where the roles were reversed and the Cubs needed to win games against the Reds, and you go into a series thinking like, yeah, this team... Stinks. It isn't good, and this is where we got to pick up these Ws if we want to make the playoffs. And this was not a not a good effort from the Cincinnati Reds <laughs> if they are aiming to be a playoff team. And and maybe maybe um, this is you know like I said we've we've experienced this a lot with the roles reversed. So uh, this doesn't exactly make up for some of the past uh, Reds spoiler efforts. I don't think. Uh, but it's, it's, it is nice to, you know, you knew going into the series, the Cubs had the, the, the opportunity to make things harder for the Cincinnati Reds. And
0: I don't think any of us like the Cincinnati Reds. So I'm glad that they did. And you have to wonder too, you have Nick Castellanos out there wondering, hmm, you know what? I kind of miss Wrigley Field. I had a home run in one of these games. My team who's competing for a playoff spot, they're not, they're not winning against this like subpar Chicago Cubs team. I might want to come back. Right, Corey. So, I you you see that? I hope that's what he was thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think anyone, everyone at this point would be interested in a a Nick Castellanos reunion. But the Cubs have a legitimate chance to continue to play like the spoiler role. They have a lot of teams that are uh, upcoming in their schedule that are in the race. You have the Giants, for example, coming to Wrigley this weekend, and uh, among other notable events that series i mean the giants are competing for a division with the uh the world series less this century dodgers team so they have many more opportunities Corey. and i think it's a good learning experience too like imagine having alzali come in in a late high leverage moment and facing these teams in competitive environments it goes back to tommy hadavy's point too where maybe this type of environment. Will propel and nudge Alzolite to do things he normally would not do as a starter, that he can then carry over into a starter role next season. So it's it's going to be fascinating. The season has gone by, especially the last six weeks, way faster than I thought, and I'm finding myself like watching all these games. I, I, I I did not I said this before, but I did not anticipate this. I'm watching all these games and following Hap and Wisdom and Ortega and Schwindel and Hoyer all these players very closely that have legitimate chances to be big time contributors for next year it's it's a weird place to be in it doesn't feel the same way as like the 2014 or 2013 cubs felt like i feel as if we have so many more guys we're monitoring that are realistic guys for the the immediate future not going to uh, recap
1: the games as you know as in depth. We we don't really do that anymore since the results are not uh, paramount to all of our mental well being or anything like that. But uh, as it was, it was a four three win on Monday for the Cubs. Reverse the score on Tuesday for a Reds four to three win, and then four to one. The final with the Jason Hayward walk off in the tenth inning on Wednesday. So the key apparently in this series was scoring four runs, as the winner in all three games scored exactly four runs. But diving into some of the specifics, Brendan, want to start uh, with uh, you know a familiar place to start in a lot of these podcasts, and that was Monday's starter, which was Justin Steele. He goes five innings, four hits, three earned, two walks, and four strikeouts on 78 pitches. And he was really rolling in this game. This looked like it was going to be that, like, okay, here we go. Like, this is the one kind of start. And it and it really might have been, it just fell off the rails a little bit in the sixth inning. And, you know, but to watch him put up zeros uh, through the first five innings, have that pitch count on a, a relatively efficient track, it it really started to feel like okay, like this is really interesting. Like, is this the kind of start we look back on as as maybe the the Pat Hughes turning point in this <laughs> experiment with Justin Steele as a starter? So, anything that you saw, and you know, in particular, like from my perspective, I think this was fine, and I I think Andy Green, who's still managing uh, with David Ross out at home with COVID, like he noted, like, you know, the, the the stretching out process is still going on for Justin Steele. So things looking really good. And then as he gets toward that 70 pitch marker into the sixth inning, you know, pitching this deep into games as a starter for the first times in his career, right? Like that's okay. And and kind of to be expected. But the fact that we even got to that point, I think for me was, was
0: really exciting on Monday. I don't think the Reds, Properly had the scouting report against against Steele. What I mean by that is because Steele threw in this start the most curveballs he ever has thrown in a professional start with the Cubs. So he was primarily using four seams in sliders. Even recently out of the rotation, this start he switched it up. He threw twenty percent curveballs. And if you look at the heat map or where he threw those curveballs, most of them, not most, but a good majority of them, they were mislocated curveballs. They, they were not properly commanded. But you've known from other guys in years past that's okay. If your stuff is so good in a place up, you can get away with suboptimal command. And one example before this year and throughout many of the Cubs' uh, golden years was Jake Arrieta, who often didn't have the best command, but his stuff was so nasty, that release point was so nasty that he got away with it. So the fact that Steele threw so many curveballs, it was his main secondary pitch for the first time again as a starter. That's that's progress. And whereas in his previous start, before this Reds outing, he was throwing heavy sinkers. We've been following this. In this start against the Reds, he went back to that four seam, and he was mainly a four seam sinker curveball guy. Still threw quite a bit of sinkers. And his command of that four seam was really good. So that's where I think overall he had his success because he was able to set the table with his fastball command and he got away with some breaking pitches that were not the best and the Reds, they just missed it. Maybe when they're on a hot streak, they would not have missed it. But this is all to say that when his command, when Steele's command with that fastball is on, he might have more wiggle room to get away with some, 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 some suboptimal command with those breaking pitches. It's a step in the right direction. The first step as a starter was throwing more sinkers. He never did that before. The second step for now appears to be maybe trying out more curveballs. And he did that against a Reds team competing for a division. And he did so mildly successfully. It's still a work in progress. He still has a potential significant role for 2022, and it's not going to be an overnight, you know, snap your fingers type transition for him. This is part of the growing pains. This is part of the development, and to see him continue to use different pitch types, different sequences, no matter who he's playing against a competitive team, that that mentality, that mindset, that's also what you want as your starter. So all in all, Steele, mostly four seams, still a lot of sinkers, and he threw for the first time in his career as a cub more. Uh, curveballs and sliders as a starter.
1: Yeah, and obviously we're watching this from afar, but love the attitude that he has out there on the mound. When uh, Andy Green came to take him out of the game in the sixth the other night, he took like, you know, one of those kind of like long laps behind the mound and was, you know, visibly pretty Pissed. I, I don't think at Andy Green. I think at himself that he had that start kind of rolling along, and it it fell apart a little bit, and he wasn't able to get out of that inning. And you you can just tell like he wants it. This dude wants it, and he and he he you could tell that he felt he was right there on a, a quality start and and really kind of building that that resume and it, it, he just wasn't able to push it across the finish line, but you can really feel it with him. I think out there on the mound that he, he really wants it and he's gonna, you know, put in the work to make it happen as we go through this last month here and into the off season and into spring training. So that, that was, that was good to see on Monday night. So switching to, uh, some roster news, and then we'll get back into some of the current players. um, Michael Hermosillo hits the injured list, and that will end his season. So uh, it is a forearm injury for Hermosillo, and that is going to uh, end his season. It's going to take too long for him to heal and, and rehab and stuff. And obviously, because it is already September, there is not more than a few weeks left in the season. So disappointing, Brendan. I mean, yeah. you, you were hoping to get a longer look at him. Um, obviously, this sort of informs why he wasn't playing over that last weekend. So at least we have some explanation on that. Doesn't necessarily explain the, the prior portions where he wasn't playing. And I, I think, you know, that's kind of why I was bringing that up all the time. Like this is one of those examples where it's like, well, I wish he had played as often as he could have when he was healthy because now he's hurt. So, you know, that's kind of why I was bringing that up all the time. Although I guess tonight as Jason Hayward hits a walk-off home run, I don't know that David Ross is going to care uh, that I wanted to see Marham Rocio, right? But either way, the, the moral is, you know, he just didn't get in there enough. So I think, you weren't able to get a clear idea of what you have with him at the major league level. And there's obviously some potential there. And he did show you the tools that he has, right? He showed you the power. He hit some home runs. He hit some long home runs. He showed you his speed. He showed you his athleticism in the outfield, making some really great catches, in particular in that series on the South Side against the White Sox. Some really, really impressive defense from him. So he showed a little bit of like what those skills are and what he can bring, but you, you weren't really able to get any kind of reliable view of like, oh, okay, yeah, here's the role that we can project for him yeah. based on what we saw. So that that's the disappointing part. It's disappointing for him, um, but I, I do think that there's you know obviously a place for him in this organization, and, and probably on the major league team going forward, you're just going to have to find another time to kind of get that look at it
0: well the concerning part is he's out of options so unless he makes the team next season then they're going to have to try to find a way to get him through waivers back into iowa and then get him back up to the bigs if they end up wanting to hold on to him so it's, that's that's a tricky situation with hermosita you wanted more of a sample to be able to take that risk go into opening day and be like okay you know what like this our 26 guy we know the issues with the strikeout rate. We still like his high ceiling, even in the floor might be kind of low. And now maybe you don't have that foundation to take that risk, and maybe you're more willing to take risk in free agency or some of these other current guys we're seeing. It's, it kind of sucks, Corey. Yeah. Like that's that's, that's yeah. where I am with that. I would not be surprised if we enter in... 2022 season he's not part of this conversation not part of this team now i'm sure he'll go through spring training uh if he does make it through the off season and 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 get that chance to compete i feel as if the difference between joe madden's camps and david ross's camps i feel as if ross is going to value that competition a little bit more so there's there still might be a chance hermosillo makes it on this ball club but right now i think if you're if you're betting and you're trying to be realistic. That the odds are are extremely slim that he's able to do that.
1: Yeah, it's it's disappointing all around. I mean, obviously, it's it's no good when anybody gets hurt and stuff like that. But just a shame for Hermosillo because yeah. he gets called up, he gets this opportunity and, you know, even though he wasn't drawing the starts every day like we were kind of hoping for, you know, you still had uh, a few weeks here until the end of the season where there was obviously opportunities for him to be getting in there and showing what he could do, and now obviously he's not able to do that. So that's disappointing uh, for him, certainly, and and for us as fans who were kind of looking forward to seeing what he was able to do. So, alas, that is uh, how that experiment ends, at least for now. So, Continuing uh, with things that went on in this series, Uh, we we had talked about his role a little bit, so we don't have to go too deep into this. But another one from Alec Mills, another quality start from Alec Mills. Six innings on Wednesday, four hits, one earned, one walk, and three strikeouts. Season ERA is just a touch above four at 409 And an interesting stat from a friend of the podcast, Jordan Bastian from MLB and Cubs.com. In his MLB career, after tonight's start on Wednesday, Mills now at a 3.81 ERA with 144 strikeouts and just 44 walks in about 175 innings as a starter. As a reliever, he has a 5.24 ERA in 25 career games coming out of the bullpen, so if you're looking at his career numbers, they're going to be a little inflated by the work that he's done out of the bullpen. And of course, that's a much harder role. He was often occupying uh, cleanup spots you know coming out of the bullpen to just throw a few innings in uh, blowout games or a swing man you know looking to bridge the gap from a starter to the back end of the bullpen throwing a couple innings at a time so a tough role for him but when you're looking at him as a starter Brennan like the last conversation we had about him was this guy has got to be in the conversation to be in the rotation. He yeah. he was maybe in that role coming into spring training in 2021. You didn't make that choice, but at some point he has just done everything. He's checked all the boxes for you to at least be a back end of the rotation guy. And you look at the numbers and you'd be thrilled if this was the production you were. If this, if he was your five oh in 2022, God. you'd be thrilled with that. <laughs> I mean, sure. he's arguably been the best starting pitcher on the team, Brendan, right. in in. 2021. So another really good one on Wednesday, and just continuing with what we already talked about—that like Mills, you, you've got to give him a spot. I think at this point, unless you're going to vastly overhaul your starting rotation, if if the front office and the ownership want to spend a bunch of money and go get us five, you know, top of the rotation starters or four to go along with Kyle Hendricks and whatever they want to do, right? Go ahead, but that's probably not going to happen. So I think he just continues to stamp that argument home that like this one of these spots had better be mine
0: even if they go out and get two free agent starting pitchers he still should be in this rotation at at this point things do change but he deserves it and not only does he deserve it but the pitch mix makes sense if he's your number five starter let's say in these hypothetical scenarios even though we hate doing this but let's say for the sake of an example you have kyle you have two free agents in the rotation, and then you fill out the rest with Alzelay, Mills, and then Steele kind of going into that mix, into that discussion. Mills is a a borderline stable, projectable piece. Again, this might come up a lot during the offseason, but in the competitive years for this Cubs team, they didn't have a reliable starting fifth pitcher. They went multiple years without that. They had Dan Heron making starts for this team out of that spot, out of that fifth spot. So if he goes into your year as your staple in that fifth rotation spot, that's a good scenario to to be in. And what I like most about Mills right now, especially in 2021, is that he's having success on every fifth day for different reasons. He's not the same type of starter That we saw in 2019 he's a little bit similar from 2020 when he was kind of breaking through but from his years past before 2020 this is a new pitcher and you can say the same about mostly every pitcher underneath tommy Hadavi's uh direction with mills what's so fascinating about him is that he's on a game-to-game basis changing his pitch mix up drastically for example against the reds uh in his last start he threw the most changeups as his primary pitch than he has in any start as a Cub. He led his 73 pitches with changeups. He threw a changeup 32% of the time. That's the most of any of his pitches, again. That's wild. And then he complements that with a sinker. He threw a sinker 30% of the time. And then he's like, all right, well, I'm gonna, th- I'm gonna show my four seam just to show it, then my curveball then my slider, and he threw all those pitches above 10% of the time. So this is a, a legitimate five-pitch mix guy. That on one night he may be like, okay, I'm gonna throw heavy four-seams. A different night, I'm gonna throw heavy sinkers. A different night, I'm gonna lead with my slider instead of my changeup. It's hard to scout and prepare for a pitcher like this, and that's what makes him such an appealing fifth starter option. Or maybe, I mean, I mean, I don't want to say maybe more, but At the very least, that's what you can consider him as. The one concern I do have is that his contact rate being 84%, it's in the bottom tier of the league. So ideally, you want him to get more whiffs, and maybe as the season goes along here, and even if he doesn't end up getting more whiffs, that might be okay, but it is worth noting that when he threw heavy changeups tonight, again, the first time he's ever done that in his career, he got seven whiffs in 15 swings. That's almost a 50% swinging strike rate. The major league average for changeups is around 15%. So that just goes to show you that against the Reds tonight, the Scotty report was not properly written for the Reds. And you can say the same thing about Justin Steele as we just did 50% whiffs on changeups on 15 swings. That's impressive, Corey. And the way he's locating these pitches, his command this year has also been better. So yes, going into the offseason, I don't think you can make a convincing argument against Mills entering the 2022 season at the very minimum as your fifth starting option. It's harder to argue against that, Corey. And it's no matter what your opinion is of the guy, maybe you want him replaced as 2022 goes along and put him back in the bullpen. But at the current moment, there isn't a convincing argument to not put him at the very least as your fifth guy.
1: Yeah. He's earned it. I mean, I, I think like, you know, more than anything, he's earned it. And I think you brought it up a couple episodes ago. Like there there's times where when guys in your organization, especially guys who have been with your organization for such a long time, you, you, you want to reward those guys and you want other guys in the organization to see guys like Mills and have that idea of like, look, if I put the work in and I start getting the results, like I'm going to get rewarded. And, you know, you don't want to be doing that. Just for the sake of doing it, but when a guy is earning it, I mean, as a starter, like again, the guy has a 3.80 RA in his career as a starter. Like, what more do you want him to do? Yeah, right. Yeah, like he's doing it. He he he's he's got to have one of those spots uh, again, unless you're planning on putting together the best starting rotation of all time. I mean, right? you would then need then to sign ahead, three but...
0: starters for that to happen, right? Like right, realistically, it's yeah. so not going to happen. It's not going to happen, and yeah, and going into the off season. Two starters in my mind is is the ideal outcome, right? I would be, I'm not going to be surprised per se, but it would be a little bit of a surprise if they end up going out and getting two top tier starting pitchers, Corey.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see about that, and we'll have plenty of time to speculate on that. Uh, but do want to check back in on somebody that we talked about kind of in depth in the last episode. So if if you're kind of looking for the deeper thoughts on this and and the kind of future-oriented nature of it, check out the last episode. Uh, But Brendan, I mean, another series for me and Hap. Uh, The dude just keeps hitting, and we, again, we went into depth on it more so in the last episode, uh, but another big series here against the Reds for Hap, um, hitting a homer on Monday and uh, hitting a homer on Tuesday and hitting a <laughs> homer on Wednesday. So it it just bears bringing up again. He's got 21 home runs right now. At one point in the game on Wednesday, he had gotten back up to a league average WRC plus of 100. He uh, did not get a hit in his last at-bat, so I believe that took it down to 98 but given where he was throughout this year and and the struggles that we had talked about, I want to keep making sure we're updating on this. Um, so in his last 24 games, he's got a 371 average uh, with 10 home runs, five walks, and an 1191 OPS, which is uh, very good. And he, he just keeps looking good, Brendan. And, uh, it, it, you know, again, we don't have to go deep into this again. We we just did this. But, uh, again, another one from Jordan Bastion of Cubs.com. He had a 68 WRC Plus on August 12th. 68. When we were railing on the playing time that like Eric Sogard was getting, that's the kind of number we were talking about. I think Sogard finished like a 61 because he's awful and it was worse, I don't right? even
0: want you to say his name on this podcast. I told well, you I that. made
1: sure to say he was awful, I told you right? That. So it's fine. No, no it's not. Um, but I just want to give proper context. Like 68 is quite bad. It, it's well below league average. It's bad. And that was on August 12th. I mean, this is not even a month later, Brendan. And he's he was he was at league average tonight. So again, when we went into depth on this last episode, we I think put things in proper context. And if you didn't listen to that, or if you're you're not a HAP fan, whatever, I I understand if you're listening to this right now, going like, why are they so excited about a guy getting back to league average, right? like good for you know congrats right like but the I think again the 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 point for me is that we knew he was not that player he was not a 70 WRC plus player he was not a 600 OPS player just not who he was whatever you thought of him and just really impressive work from him and in particular a
0: really really impressive series against the Reds Hap, and this is this is a quote from uh, Andy Green, who's acting as a manager with Ross out due to COVID. But Andy Green said, quote, my opinion watching him is he's been more aggressive early in the count. He's been willing to play things out in front a little bit more, end quote. Okay, so now can we go back in the data and see if that's actually being the case? And the answer is yes. So over the last, what is this, six weeks, his chase rate, is league average. And I bring that up because his overall chase rate on the year is in the 20th percentile. So right now he's in the 50th percentile over the last six weeks. He's been swinging at more pitches. So that is indicating aggression. So the the question I have is, okay, if Happ is going to be this patient guy and you like him for being patient, but when there are stretches of success by hap that are not being induced by that patience then what are we like what are we trying to project here because is patience for hap good or is it bad because there are many samples very large samples hundreds of plate appearances including the one this year when when he has league best chase rates he's not hitting the ball well like he may need to be more aggressive as we've seen the past six weeks. The second point I want to bring up with Hap is he's doing most of his damage against fastballs, which is great because in years past, he struggled against fastballs, but it's coming off almost exclusively fastballs to success. His slider uh, run value over the past six weeks is still in the negatives. So you ideally would like Hap to be still having the same type of approach in terms of having that discipline, but also, in addition, able to hit more than just like primary fastballs. It'd be great if he can also hit those secondary pitches, those breaking pitches. And at least to a different point with Patrick Wisdom, earlier in the year, especially in June, he was hitting all pitch types. And that was indicative, for my opinion, that he can adjust not only over the long haul, perhaps, but also within the game, That can lead to some success that is not really highlighted by most players. Most players in that tier may not be able to hit against all pitch dives, but Wisdom so far in his current stint with the Cubs has been able to show that. So this is all to say with Hap that, yeah, it is encouraging to see him do this, and it is encouraging that his weighted runs created plus is almost league average now, but it's not really drastically moving the needle for me. That being said, I kind of put them in the same bucket as I do with Schwindel and Wisdom. Maybe Schwindel and Wisdom are in a little bit of a, a different bucket, but they're right next to each other. And what I mean is, if the Cubs go out and and get a few, you know, big time free Asian bats and use Hap as like a complementary left fielder, for example, I I'm fine for that. But if you're going to go into the 2022 season as you did in 2021 with HAP as your leadoff, starting center fielder, I'm gonna have an issue with that because that's not a really a reliable projection at this point. At this point, you want to try to mitigate some of the volatility that we've seen over the years past, especially in those projections. And with HAP, even with this hot streak, I'm not sure if it's doing it for me. Like I'm 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 very impressed he's able to snap out of it this fast, but there still seems to be quite a bit of work left to be accomplished, especially mirroring and matching what he's shown to be a plus in his discipline with his success cuz right now his success is not being driven by that discipline.
1: Complimentary guy in the mix in, you know, the outfield rotation, whatever, I think that's fine, but I, you know, I, I I'm certainly not viewing him as the player that we've seen in August and September. I think is like basically the conclusion. There's more to it, right? And so I'm not giving him a job or a role based on just this sample okay. here. I mean, it's they kind of they kind don't of did that
0: he, last year, though, right? They gave, they gave him. The lead off starting center gig, based on well, two but months. but
1: I think that I think that was different because he had never had a stretch that was as bad as he had at the beginning of this year. I mean, coming into uh, 2021, you know, he was still a career 800 OPS kind of guy, right? Like we had yeah. never seen this from him.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm, just, I'm not saying the Cubs are going to go out and, and do that based on these two months, but it does beg the question. At least in my mind, is. Do you still want to take that chance, like going into 2022, like even, like even as a complimentary role? I'm open to it, right? And we'll get into this during the off season, I'm sure, exhaustively. I'm open to it, but I'm still more open to exploring other possibilities. And Hap still is going to have value, perhaps. That's the most important thing that that maybe I'm not thinking about. There is a possibility you know, six weeks ago, that he may have ended up being non-tendered, right? If these slumps continued, we've seen in years past, cups are you know, we're not going to tender you a contract anymore. And that seems to be like a legitimate possibility. And now that seems to be well beyond us. And because of that, he may have value on like the trade market, for example.
1: Right, either to the organization or outside of it. Yeah, which is, you know, obviously, uh, better for everybody involved. So, yeah, that's that's where we are on half. But you know, really, again, like I, I I don't know that anything we see in this last month is is going to change kind of our overall conclusion on it. But absolutely, due props to him for turning things around yeah, and you know just continuing to hit the ball really well, put together really good at bats, plate appearances, and deliver for this team on offense uh, over the last month plus here. So. Uh, want to highlight uh, a couple guys doing well, and then have you talk to me about uh, the slump that Patrick Wisdom is in? So, the the first two guys I want to talk about, just in terms of how well they're doing. I don't know that we've really dialed in on him uh, yet, and so I wanted to talk uh, just about Rowan Wick, who looks really good, Brendan. At least you know from the eye test and you know the numbers getting better there. He goes two innings on Wednesday night. Uh, allowing just two hits, no walks, no strikeouts, no runs. Season ERA sitting at 2.63. But when you watch the outings, like that curveball is really sharp, Brendan. And and when he first came back, you know from the injury, worked his way back uh, late in this season, didn't look like the Rowan Wick we had seen, and and it kind of took a second to really get going here, but, but watching him pitch, he looks like the guy you would have expected him to look like. The breaking ball looks really sharp, fastball looks good, and as we've talked about this team has shown an ability this this pitching infrastructure this front office to cobble together a bullpen without spending a massive amount of money or making it their their kind of primary objective in terms of where they're spending their budget and and their off-season resources and in addition to some of the other guys that we've talked about Rowanwick coming back, being healthy and looking like this guy, I think only adds to that kind of attitude. Like as we head into an uncertain offseason, I, I don't really think that there should be much attention paid to the bullpen. Not none, but I, I don't think you're looking at the group that they have right now thinking, oh man, like how could they possibly put together a functioning bullpen? I
0: think you're seeing exactly how they're yeah. going to do it. Day one, coming back from injury, he's looked pretty good. Some of the velocity has drastically deviated from game to game, but overall the velo on the year is above 94, and that's within range of his career rates, actually. So that's that's encouraging coming back from a major injury as he did. Also, what's noteworthy about Wick compared to his debut with the Cubs a couple years ago is that he started to use a, a cutter more. He's using a cutter over 10% of the time in addition to that spike curveball and that forcing. And so that was a pitch that kind of caught my attention going into spring training last year when he was showcasing that as a way to make that fastball and that curveball even even better. So yeah, going into the, going into the offseason, especially for 2022, this is how this pitching infrastructure is going to going to work. They're going to get these guys with interesting stat cast-esque peripherals, make the most out of it, change a pitch grip. They did the same thing with Cody Hoyer. They changed his fastball pitch grips. Now look at them. This is just who they are. And the the, the value of a Tommy Hotovy and a Craig Breslow and uh, uh, Jacobson in that pitching development infrastructure, you see how they can save money and use that money elsewhere. Manny Rodriguez, Hoyer, Wick, those are your three guys in the back of the bullpen, and I'm sure if Keegan Thompson is not going to be used as a starter, which it seems as if it's going to be the case to start next season, he's your fourth guy in that bullpen, and now you have to find three to four other guys, which doesn't seem that difficult, and I'm sure they're going to go out there and maybe entertain getting a free agent of some sort. But even if they don't, you have a high- leverage reliever with Rowan Wick. You have a high-leverage reliever, maybe with Cordy Hoyer. His stuff is playing up to it. And you have a guy who's pumping triple digits in Manny Rodriguez, who, at this point, if his command is on, if it's on point, then he's going to be a high-leverage reliever as well. So the bullpen is... In the back of my mind, like I, I just assume that it's going to kind of work out. That might be a dangerous assumption, but at this point, given what we've seen over the past year and a half now, that's kind of how you have to operate. Especially when the budget
1: is uncertain, right? If you're assuming that Jed Hoyer is working with more limited resources than we would like, like that's an area where, okay, like they've identified that they can handle that without great resources so cool move on to something else right right? like that's that's what you want so just to um highlight one of the guys that you just mentioned um, another friend of the podcast matt clap at the blog finds on twitter cody hoyer a 0.90 era in 20 innings pitched for the chicago cubs that one feels like, you know, again, like I wasn't on the phone seeing what the prices were for Craig Kimbrell, who else wanted him, what the packages were, but Hoyer looks really good, man, and, and like at least someone who's going to be a productive member of this bullpen, and we haven't even seen Nick Madrigal take the field yet, so it's it's really hard at this exact moment not to feel like that was a, a job well done by Jed Hoyer, just
0: looking at the way that that Cody Hoyer has pitched for this team. And when Hoyer came over to the Cubs, he was throwing a fastball very differently with his time as a White Sox. And so he came over to the Cubs pitch lab and he changed his grips. And how to be said, he throws not really a primary four seam or a primary two seam. It's almost like a hybrid based on the, the differential pressure on his on his on his fingers. And so we're seeing that play out. And when you have a, a velocity that can reach upwards of 97, which would be in the top 75th percentile of Major League Baseball, with that type of unique release point, with that type of unique spin, hitters are not going to see that very often. And because of that, because of that unfamiliarity from the hitters, that should lead to more success. And with him and Madrigal, you got two guys who are going to slot into this team for the next foreseeable three, four, five years, ideally for Craig Kimbrell, who's not really performing as he did with the Cubs. So it's 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 funny because the the perception during that time that I felt was oh, you know, you didn't get like the super high ceiling guys. And that's fair, that's a fair critique, I guess. It depends on what you want, but you got back probably the most projectable package of players you could possibly ask for. You're going to get back maybe a leadoff hitter, the, the most contact-oriented hitter in Major League Baseball, and now you're going to get back a reliever for the next five plus years who can slot in in your bullpen and maybe do so towards the back end of your bullpen. And the fact that the Cubs were able to use their pitching resources to even target someone like Hoyer with anticipation of immediately changing his stuff speaks volume to what they can do with even smaller scale deal scoring. The inclusion of Cody Hoyer in that deal was what pushed
1: the White Sox package over the edge for Jed Hoyer. At the trade deadline. So you're certainly seeing that in the results. Two innings from Hoyer on Wednesday, two strikeouts, no hits, no runs, no walks. And he does strand the, uh, as JD puts in on the marquee broadcasts, the Manfred man out at second base in the 10th inning there, allowing Jason Hayward to hit a walk off three run home run. So good stuff there. So uh, before we get into uh, a preview that I am not prepared for, talk to me about Patrick Wisdom. So it's been a bit of a struggle for him as of late since that uh, big, you know, kind of explosive series against the White Sox uh, on the south side of town. And he is stuck, Brendan, on 25 home runs. As you guys might remember, 26 would tie him with uh, the, the, the reason that I'm not prepared for the, uh, San Francisco Giants preview in a few moments, uh, Chris Bryant at at 26. Uh, and so he figures to tie it and break it within, you know, he's got plenty of time here and just the, 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 pace that he had been on certainly figure he's going to do that, but it's been a bit of a struggle for him, uh, in this, this recent stretch, so anything you're you're seeing from him and I guess can you can you put it into to terms of just kind of who he is overall as a player right because we've talked about how you know kind of like we did with Alec Mills you know that the way he's played, the way he's performed, he has sort of demanded that you give him an opportunity in 2022, especially if, if your budget is not overflowing, right? Like he's done everything that you would have asked for him. He's still a contender to be the rookie of the year, all that. But what, is, what does that all look like and how does this stretch that we're seeing kind of inform who he is
0: overall? who he is overall is a guy who hits baseball is extremely hard. Like even uh, on the year, despite this recent slump, his hard hit rate is better than 95% of the league. So this is who he is. He's going to hit the ball extremely hard. And what comes with that for him is a lot of whiffs. This is just the nature of his style of play. Over the last, what is this, three weeks, yeah, his numbers have not been the best. His expected wOBA has gone down. His overall wOBA has gone down in the 350ish range, but you're going to get these like, you know, peaks and values with players who whiff this much. You can think of Javi Baez, you can think of even dating back to to way back then, guys who escaped the zone like a Pablo Sandoval. You go through these weird stretches. For Wisdom, what I will say during the stretch, which is kind of interesting and is in a sample size that's not fluky, his chase rate has gotten a lot better. So his chase rate over his last 60 plate appearances is around 25%. So as a comparison, Ian Happ in that same sample is around 31%. So Happ has been known for his good plate discipline, but he's been more aggressive. And for Wisdom, he's been known for having a little bit of an excessive chase rate. And he's been way more disciplined than Ian Happ. Why that is, I'm not sure. Pitchers are not throwing more outside the zone than they used to. This could just be a thing that Wisdom is working through. His slider run value has been down, of course, Even again tonight, in that 10th inning, what did he do? He hit a slider to left field for a base hit, moving the runner over to third base before Jason Hayward walked off. And his overall run value on the year against all these pitch types has been stable, as I've said. So am I worried that this slump is like a new extreme that's dooming? No. If he does go through an extreme, it's not due to his current level of play. It will be due to an adjustment to league makes from here on out. But currently in these last, you know, 50, 100 plate appearance samples, there isn't anything concerning for me. This is just the nature of how these types of players perform. And despite that, it's the same conversation as you have with Schwindel or even Ian Happ. If you go into the year assuming that Wisdom's going to be your middle of the order guy in like that fourth or fifth spot, that's not a reliable way of operating. If he's going into the year as like a complimentary piece, okay, that's going to be $600,000 on the corner with plus defense, with 30 plus homer potential. And now you can use that money elsewhere to supplement your team at shortstop, in center field, in the rotation. And so that is insanely valuable, and this type of slump, if you want to call it that, is not being guided by any extreme whatsoever, and we could be having a completely different conversation about wisdom in 10 days as we've been doing the entire season.
1: I've just been waiting for him to tie the record and, and break the record. It's just one of those well, he things. He may do
0: it's... it with uh, Chris Bryant in Oh, attendance. well, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> I don't even know what to think about that.
1: I don't like it. I hadn't thought of that beforehand. <laughs> you I may be like there. <laughs> yeah, I, I am going to be there. I'm going to go to these games, and you go to you go all three games. I'm for sure going to go on Friday and Saturday. We'll all see right. I, if I'm tired of sitting in the stands and sobbing as he comes up every time. Yeah, but, for template purposes, um, Yeah, I mean, you know, look, especially like I didn't get the opportunity. I wasn't able to go when John came back uh, with the Nationals earlier this year and we're not going to see Anthony and Javi this time around. So, um, yeah, got to be there. Got to be there for KB. I mean, he deserves it, and I, I, I don't know what the crowd is going to look like. It was very sparse for these Cincinnati games, so not really sure what that's going to look like. But, uh, yeah, he deserves it, and I'm hopeful that there are a lot of other people that are going to go and make sure he hears it.
0: All right. Um Well, let's preview the series then. So, Cubs-Giants beginning Friday, 1.20 p.m. afternoon start time, your trademark afternoon, 1.20 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. Uh, Kyle Hendricks on the mound for the Cubs on the year 14-6, a 4.65 ERA. The Giants have not announced a starter for that Friday game. On Saturday, they have announced a starter. Kevin Gossman, perhaps a future Cub, we'll see, Takes the ball for the Giants. On the year. he is 13-5, a stellar 2.58 ERA. If you're watching these games, look at that splitter. It's perhaps the best splitter in modern baseball history. I mean that with no hyperbole. The whiff rate, the movement on that pitch, absolutely disgusting. Uh, his counterpart that day will be Zach Davies, who absolutely sucks. I cannot wait for him to be off this team on the year. He's 6-10, a 5.16 ERA. No offense to Zach Davies or whatever, but uh, not enjoyable to watch him play this year. That game starts at 1:20 p.m. on Sunday to finish off this three-game set. We have Justin Steele starting again for the Cubs. Steele this season, 3-2, a 3.75 ERA. The Giants have not announced a starter for that Sunday set. That game starts at 1:20 p.m. So all these games 1:20 p.m. afternoon start times, and the Giants 90 and 50, 40 games above 500, definitely a surprise on the year. The Cubs currently sit at 65 and 76. They have won eight of their last nine games. I mean, it's pretty obvious what we're looking for in this series. One, Chris Bryant. Um, I'm just thankful I don't have to sit up and watch late night West Coast games to see him play. So I can kind of kill two birds with one stone here. Other than that, of course, monitoring Justin Steele. We'll see if he goes back to that sinker, perhaps. We'll see if he continues to throw those curveballs in place of the sliders. We'll see if he ends up doing something different. Maybe we will be that changeup. Outside of Steele on the offensive side, Frank Schwindel, the best hitter in professional baseball. We'll see if that continues. Patrick Wisdom, Ian Happ, the obvious, maybe Rafael Ortega, he had a, you know, a decent series from a plate approach approach point of view, but it's, you know, needless to say, this is uh, the weekend of Chris Bryant.
1: Yeah, it's going to be weird. Um, Yeah, I think I'll have more thoughts on it on Sunday after I see it, but... Just having been at Wrigley for so many of his games and so many big moments of his, this is going to be very weird. And uh, I, you know, again, usually with this stuff, my my only, and i I think he knows this. But especially with the way it played out and and all that stuff and and the trade going down on the road and everything, more than anything, i I always just hope that these guys know how much they meant to us. and it's it's hard to convey that. It's hard to know. Like if I if I were a celebrity, like if I was a baseball player, like I don't know how I would feel about that. Like would I be checking Twitter to figure that out? Would I hear the fan response? Like I don't know. I, I don't know for these guys what really kind of gets to them or, or conveys this message to them. But in in whatever way we can, I just hope the, the crowd at Wrigley is full and loud. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of 17 jerseys and shirts and stuff like that and that, you know, KB just knows how much he was appreciated here. Whatever went on with him in the front office or ownership or, you know, anything business-wise has nothing to do with the fans in the ballpark. And I hope he feels that uh, all three days. And uh, yeah, if you see me at the ballpark, you know, sobbing in my seat, you no, you didn't. Don't, you know, you didn't see that. It wasn't me um definitely not me in the same seats all the time um but yeah it's gonna be weird I mean this is just where (laughs) this is this is just where we are Brendan I'm gonna go uh be really sad to see Chris Bryant in another uniform while I watch Frank Schwindel's Chicago Cubs so 2021
0: right (laughs) what a sentence that was
1: (laughs) I I think that's all we have for you on this particular episode of the Cubs related podcast as always we appreciate you guys tuning in, supporting us, uh, downloading, listening to this podcast, giving us five stars in the Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to this podcast, and enjoy your off day on Thursday, and then uh, we welcome back Christopher Lee Bryant on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with the San Francisco Giants. So Brendan and I will talk to you on Sunday after those games are done. Again, thanks for listening and supporting the Cubs Related Podcast. We will talk to you soon, and as always, Go Cubs!